Hawks. Go, 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 go. Let's go, 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 White Sox. Chicago is proud of you. This is White Sox Weekly, the Chicago baseball conversation on the new flagship home of the Sox. 720 WGN. Here we go, live from Cork and Carey at the park, presented by Wintrust. It's the White Sox and the Cubs. It's White Sox Weekly. Kevin Powell is sitting next to me. What's up, KP? We have uh, breaking news, White Sox news right off the top of the show, Carm. Luis Robert, who's been absolutely raking down to the minors, is going to AAA following the All-Star break. Are you excited about that? Absolutely. (laughs) I think this opens up the possibility of him coming up to the majors this season. I, uh, at least it gives him a window or a, or a chance. Inside sources are telling at the car on Twitter that Luis Robert will not be rushed up from AAA. Let's let's say one step at a time as part of the White Sox rebuild, but that is awesome news. Uh, Luis Robert has certainly earned uh, his promotion, correct? I mean, this guy has been absolutely phenomenal. Chris Getz, uh, who's been on the program, was talking about I, I asked him, KP, like, hey, if you dropped Luis Robert into the big leagues right now, how do you think he would do? And he's hey, he'd do pretty all right. <laughs> yeah, three fourteen batting average, three sixty two the on base, five eighteen the slug. Add that up together for an OPS. Everybody loves OPS. You wanted over eight hundred. Robert's at eight eighty. Yeah, breaking, breaking it down a little further, eight homers, twenty nine RBIs, three triples, sixteen doubles. He runs like a deer. Uh, he's walked 13 times. He struck out 54 times. Nothing not to love about Luis Robert. He's going to, I mean, I, this is the maybe the most, ex, for me personally, of all the people that are coming up from Eloy to Cease, who we're going to have on the show today a little bit after 5 o'clock, hopefully. Luis Robert is maybe the guy I'm looking forward to seeing the most. I mean, you could make that case for sure because he has all the tools. Defensively, everybody thinks he's an everyday center field type guy. He's stolen bases this season, 26 of them between single and, and double A this year. So uh, hits for power. It's, uh, he's an exciting player. I'm with you. I think uh, right there with Eloy and some of these other guys, I think uh, I think Robert has that sort of excitement level to him. Today's live broadcast, by the way, from Cork and Carey at the park, presented by Wintrust, the presenting sponsor of the Wintrust Crosstown Series. It's sponsored by Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's Beer. We're going to talk to Farmio in about 10 minutes here. Uh, but I caught up right before the game today, KP. This went over to the park, and I mm-hmm. said, uh, I, I was you know, hanging in the dugout looking for someone to talk to, and then Charlie Tilson comes walking on up. Here's a local kid, New Trier High School, grew up. Will Met native. Will, Will Met native, grew up loving the White Sox, hating the Cubs. So I grabbed him for a little two-minute hit here to start out the show. Charlie Tilson before the ball game today. What's it mean for a kid who grows up with a play in a Cubs-Sox game? It's incredible, man. I think, you know, I look back to the moments coming out this park, watching this game, and um, you know so many of the historic moments that happen, and uh, to be a part of it, be able to put on the White Sox uniform, I think uh, it's about as exciting as it gets. You grew up a Sox fan, correct? Yeah. So, outside of making it in the major leagues, how big of a thrill would it be? Let's say you had a walk off today to beat the Cubs at home. Could you? I mean, is that even almost better than making it to the big leagues? I don't know if it's quite that, but right around there? Yeah, 100%. You know, that would be a, a moment I'd never forget. But, you know, right now, just focusing on getting out there and preparing to, to help the club win tonight. So it does feel a little bit different, though, right? It's not just, you're not playing the A's. So you want to win any game, I get it, you're focused, you're ready, but this is a little different. Yeah, I think growing up here, you know, you know what it means. I mean, going to elementary, high school here, listening to fans of the other side and 
um, you know, having those arguments as a kid, you know, uh, you know, it's important not just for us to get the win, but for our entire fan base to have some bragging rights would be huge. Who was your favorite player growing up? My favorite player, I had a, I had a bunch of them with the Sox. I loved Aaron Rowan. I loved Scott Pitsednik. You know, obviously, being an outfielder, those are two guys that stand out. But you can't forget about Paul Canerco and even the big hurt. Um, I mean, those guys were, were larger than life for me when I was a kid. So, pretty cool. And who was your least favorite Cub? My least favorite Cub? Um, you know, it's nothing personal, but... Just given the era I grew up, Sammy Sosa was probably the guy who, who you were cheering against the most just because he was the face of the franchise. But, um, you know, looking back now, it's, it's not about the players. It's more just about the rivalry and the teams. It's all about the fun, man. That was that, that was the beauty. Sammy did a home or he'd strike out, and both one side was going to be happy. That's right. That's exactly right. Charlie, good luck today. Thank you. How awesome is that? Hated Sosa growing up. Who didn't on the south side, right? I mean, I, I get it. I grew up on the north side and cherished the White Sox growing up. So I, I can relate to Charlie there where it is kind of the trash talk between all your diehard Cub fans in the, in the northwest burbs. Well, and Sammy, too. I mean, he, of course, he started here, was traded for, for George Bell. I mean, it was so easy not to like Sosa if you were, if you were a Sox fan. Right. I mean, it was. I, I mean, if you, if anybody around baseball other than Cub fans, it was easy not to like Sammy Sosa. Don't forget about the lefty Ken Patterson, a part of that deal. I want to make sure that I don't want anybody in their car driving around thinking Carmen didn't know that Ken Patterson was in that deal too. Uh, but it's it's sort of it's not the same. But I do think there is a chance that the lasting impact of the Quintana trade with Cease, who by the way again will hopefully be on the show a little bit after five o'clock, depending on how BP goes today and everything that he's got to get done. <laughs> You know, Dylan Cease's this show is not his number one priority, but hopefully that'll happen. Him and Eloy for a long time. You know, who knows what type of numbers they're going to be able to put up over the next two, three, five, ten years here. Well, I think it adds a layer to this, and I think it, this series, Cubs Sox, hasn't been at this level, this intensity, in a long time. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that Quintana was sent to the North Side, and now the Sox have two of the main pieces of that deal on the Major League Club. And, of course, what Eloy did at Wrigley in the first series. So that was awesome. I, this series it hasn't been to this at this level in a long, long time. And it's a super interesting time right now. White Sox have a chance to finish the first half 500. Even if they drop tonight and tomorrow, it's still a great first half, all things considered. But they have a chance to finish 500, and the Cubs have been scuffling. And the, the Cubs need W's. And tonight's pitching matchup is just awesome. Lucas Giolito and John Lester, I'm fired up to see it. Hey, bring your family of four to a White Sox game for as low as $49 with a family four-pack. You get four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, four chips. By the way, KP, you could do this all by yourself. Presented by Country Financial. Prepare for your financial future one simple step at a time at takesimplesteps.com. For tickets, visit whitesox.com slash four-packs and enter the promo code VALUE. And head to the park for dollar hot dogs every Wednesday home game this season. Take advantage of this unbeatable deal on a Wednesday, July 24th at the Sox. Take on the Marlins at 7:10. Brought to you by Securian Financial, who can help you make every moment count. Find out more at Securian.com. For tickets, visit WhitesOx.com slash Dollar Dogs today. Yeah, had a doubleheader Dollar Dog situation this past week. That was awesome. That was so a great double, day. Di- double-digit hot dog situation. Phenomenal day. Season of Game 1. And then Abreu with a walk-off in game two. Great. All right, uh, breaking news again. If you're just joining the show, Luis Robert is going to get promoted to AAA after the All-Star break, making the move up. So that's going to be his third stop along the system this year. Uh, Ed Farmer, Farmio, White Sox Radio coming up right after a quick timeout. Sox and the Cubs coming up, and we're live at Cork and Carey at the Park 720 WGN. 
White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. We're broadcasting live from Cork and Carry at the Park, presented by Wintrust, the presenting sponsor of the Wintrust Crosstown Series, sponsored by Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago Beer. We're going to check in with Farmio in just a second here. As uh, I believe we do have Ed Farmer ready to rock and roll. Is that correct, Rick Geezer? We do. Farmio, can you hear us back at uh, Guaranteed Right Field? You got us? Sounds good. Perhaps does not have us right now. I Classic think technical difficulty. These, this will happen every now and then. I do have faith that we're going to hear Ed Farmer at any moment now as we get ready for White Sox and Cubs. Let's continue on here. Me and you there, Sir Sir Kevin Powell. Uh, and Farmer, Farmio, just just, just, just keep, uh, keep... Just just cut in when you're ready to go, Farmio. Just keep counting to 10. Hopefully, hopefully they'll figure uh, it the out. The pitching matchup today, Carm, we yeah. haven't even touched on that. Yeah, this is a rematch, I guess, if you want to call it a rematch, or at least the same matchup as we had at Wrigley, where Lucas Giolito's struggled one of his few rough outings of the season but i you know you gotta figure he's hungry to get get at the cubs here because they've they've gotten to him the last two times he's faced him well it's some interesting stuff on lucas giolito who of course is going to the all-star game congratulations to lucas earned it along with two other white Sox in uh jose abreu and james mccann who have both been fantastic uh you know the first half of the season first righty starter for the white Sox to make the all-star game since since Jack McDowell. Jake Peavy. Jake Peavy, right. I was right there. I was Ed, Ed Farmer would have had the answer, Carm. Farmio, are you there? Do we have you? Still no Farmio. Classic technical difficulty. That these things happen. Okay, so here. Lucas Giolito, when he was growing up, huge fan uh, of... Justin Verlander. Of Justin Verlander. You know, how, you know where I was going on this. I knew Look where you me. were going on this. And... They're both vying. They both could very well start the All-Star game in Cleveland. Are you a more conservative Lucas Giolito? Don't need him starting. No, that's been your thing. You've been on like a crusade on that. I'm always... We were like mapping it out the other day at the ballpark, and you're like, well, if he pitches Saturday, can he pitch to... Just have him throw an inning. I don't know if he's... I'm always... I like I, I, the All Star. Okay, he pitches the, today. He has Sunday, Monday, Tuesday is like a bullpen day for him. Right. The All Star game's cool. That's nice. But I like when my guys are in a White Sox uniform pitching for the White Sox versus pitching for the American League. That's just me. Young pitcher doesn't need to be overtaxed. I, I, I say that's cool. Go have the experience. But we don't necessarily need to see you pitch in the game, let alone start the game. And then you feel all that pressure. You got to get warmed up, do the whole thing. How about just an, how about how about a little compromise? Let's go seventh inning bullpen. Lucas Giolito. What do we think about this? Are we? Are we in there? All right, we're getting thumbs up here. So you're, just against, you're just against him starting. I would rather, I, I, ideally, I would. If you start, you can still just go an inning. Listen, you have I, the honor of starting the All Star game. I, I think he's. Look at these numbers, Carm. He's tied for first and wins with eleven, third and whip, ERA fourth at two seventy two, which is a bounce back from last year when he had the worst in baseball at six thirteen. He's he, earned it. He does. He one hundred percent has earned it, and and you're and, just worried. I don't want to take away I don't want to take away an opportunity from somebody to play in an Ulster game which is a dream yeah. come true for him that he certainly earned but if you're just asking me personally would I rather have my players not play in the Ulster game where they can get hurt especially a pitcher I generally prefer that they would not uh, is, I think I just heard a little snippet of Ed Farmer did I not maybe I didn't I didn't hear any, hear, any hear, Farmer hear, hear, hearing things in my ear <laughs> but so here Getting back to Verlander, he's ten and three. Justin Verlander with a two eight six, one hundred and forty seven strikeouts in one hundred and nineteen innings. That's completely and utterly ridiculous. All right, uh, and then Giolito, who you're naming, last year at this time six point one three ERA 
and he turns around to go 11 and 2 with a 272. It's just been ridiculous. 16 starts, 115 strikeouts, only 33 walks. So it's interesting to me that Justin Verlander actually wants to talk to Lucas Giolito about the way he's turned around his career. Here's one of the great pitchers of the game who's probably headed to, I would think he's going to go to Cooperstown when he's done. And he wants to talk to Giolito about how he reworked himself in the offseason. That's a hell of a compliment to Lucas Giolito. Well, Lucas, all year we've kind of been asking him, you know, that's why I knew you were going to go with the Verlander angle because then there was, of course, this story, Justin Verlander saying he's interested in talking with Giolito. But Giolito is such a student of the game. Like, he loves to break down every component of it, whether it's mechanics, everything he did in the offseason when it came to his mindset. Um, even Dylan Cease, after his first start, says he talked to Lucas in the dugout right. during the game right. for a fastball adjustment. So, yeah. That tells you a lot about Lucas Giolito, who's only been in the, year, in the league for a couple of years. Dylan Cease is already going to a guy like Giolito in, during the game. Right, and so Rick Hahn, White Sox general manager, is coming up after 3.30 here. Rick Hahn's a very smart guy, right? I mean, if, I, would, I would let Rick Hahn do my taxes. I would let Rick, Rick Hahn, if I was, had to go to court, I would have Rick Hahn represent me. He could run for office, for he, sure. Right, he, he, could do, he could do politics. There's a million things he could do. Super smart guy. I'm actually, I wonder if he feels that he's smarter than Lucas Giolito. Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease, too. The White Sox have a lot of guys who are extremely intelligent. When you talk to Lucas Giolito and he explains pitching and then life with him, you, I, you just at least I do. I feel like I'm like I'm like half the guy. I'm like half as intelligent. Yeah. Okay, you're better. You're better at sports right. than me. You're smarter than me. Makes you feel like you got a lot of work to do you're as a human being. Right. You're yeah. six six. All, right, all, right, all, right. all men are clearly not created equal here. Verlander, getting back to him, eighth All Star game. I just want to read the quote from Justin Verlander about Lucas. Quote: To go through that drastic of a transformation that early in your career, it's pretty interesting. I actually want to talk to him about what led him to that undertaking. I'm always interested in stuff like that, finding new ways I can implement things people have done that have made them better. So that the great ones, KP, they're always studying the other great ones, right? What's he doing that I could incorporate into my life to right. make me I'm better? I'm always studying the way you approach life, Carl. And, and back at you, buddy. Yeah. Back okay. at you. Classic, classic. Classic learning from each other. And we're getting a thumbs up. Does that mean Farmio's here for us? Okay. All right. One more shot at Farmio. And Farmer, are you there? I am here. Yes. There All right. It's Farmio at the park. There we go. Hey, Farmio, we're, we're talking about Lucas. What's impressed you most about him this season, his transformation? Nothing he has done has really over-impressed me. I saw him as a high school pitcher from Harvard Westlake. I went to scout him in Southern California, and he had a short arm swing then. And then he hurt his elbow. And uh, when I saw him again, he was elongated with his delivery. And uh, he, uh, he has turned the corner. Uh, I try and talk to him before every start for one second, and I'll tell him, I'm not, I'm not asking you to be the best pitcher in baseball tonight. Can you be the best pitcher at the ballpark tonight? If you can, we're going to do great things. He's 11-2. Birdman average of 2.72. And this is his 17th game and start. I mean, he's been tremendous for us. Ed, he had the worst ERA in baseball last year. Now he's an all-star. That's the first time that's ever happened in Major League Baseball. <laughs> Have you ever seen a turnaround quite like this? No, no, no. And he was missing home plate last year or the year before by yards, not by feet. And once right. he figured it out, his changeup, though, his changeup has been so good. They only hit 151 off his changeup. He didn't even throw that a lot last year. What have you seen with his relationship with James McCann? Because Lucas has talked so highly of James and vice versa. 
I think they're in a good uh, situation. The best thing you can do with your catcher is to know what he's going to call ahead of time. And once you get on that mold with the catcher, you don't have to shake him off. You already know. And it's a great thing to have. And they've got that together. McCann, he's going to the all-star game with him. That might be the battery coming in for Verlander. Farmio, I was listening to you yesterday, or the other day, rather, when uh, Cease was on the mound making his debut. It's the first inning, and you started talking about, well, you know, my uh, debut wasn't great either. <laughs> it's going to be okay here, Dylan. And then, you know, the way he was able to right the ship after 30-plus yeah. pitches in the first inning, that, that, that speaks a lot to his character and uh, oh, it shows, composure, right? Carm, you're right. Yeah, I mean, it shows something about what he's wanting to do, what he's going to do. He went to his secondary pitches because... The first ones were not coming over. So he starts dropping the curveball on the Tigers, and they're going, wait a minute, uh, we're looking for the fastball. Oh, he's got a curveball? This is ridiculous. He is uh, He's an up-and-coming star at the major league level, barring injury, of course. But uh, that rocky road that he had in the first inning, I said if he doesn't give up any more runs, he's going to do pretty good. And I think the, the next run he gave up was on a home run, and that was about it. All right, I got one technical pitching question for you, Ed Farmer. I know you know this stuff. It's the, I guess, the wave in baseball right now, spin rate and yeah. fastballs at the top of the zone, which, you know, when you were growing up, don't pitch it up there. They're going to knock it out of the right. ballpark, keep it low and away. But now everybody's attacking that top of the zone, and they're trying to drop the curveball down and get guys out that way. And Cease is living up there. The way you've seen this whole get incorporated into the game uh, I'm just curious your thoughts. Do you like it? Do you not like it? What would you say? Uh, Carm, there's a number of ways you can pitch and get people out. You know, spin rate and uh, exit velocity on the ball coming off the bat. These are all things we look at, absolutely. I want to know what's beating in the guy's chest. If he can do great things with me, we're going to, we're going to certainly get through rough times. But when he's ahead of the class and he's doing what Giolito's doing, you don't have to do anything. Just show him where the mound is and he'll find his way. Ed, with the Sox playing so much better this season compared to the past couple of years and the fact that Dylan and Eloy are up here in the big leagues, it definitely adds another layer to this crosstown classic between the Sox and Cubs. And, you know, we saw the different sort of intensity at Wrigley and, of course, Eloy with that, that homer in the ninth, which is, was just incredible. Um, I, I can't remember this rivalry being where it's, where it's at now uh, in, in quite some time, really. Uh, you know, the Cubs have a real solid ball club. This is not a team that you just put together. This is going to be a good game tonight. And, I, I mean, I look at some of the numbers, and they, they can hit the baseball, and they can certainly hit it out. You know, when you're a, a pitcher and you come to the ballpark, you always check the flags. I still do that. They're blowing out to center field. You could have some few home runs tonight. But what the guys are pitching Lester for the Cubs and Giolito for us, if they keep the ball down, they're both guys who like to get outs. And when they get one out, it transcends them to the next. This could be a very, very solid pitching matchup as well. Mario, appreciate you battling through the technical difficulties over there. We'd we, we love to have you on, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing you tonight. Go call a winner. I hope so, because I want to say Sox win, Sox win. Everybody have a great time tonight. There it is. <laughs> you got him going here at Cork and Carry, Ed. All right, looking Farmio. forward to the call. Thanks. Okay, guys. Ed Farmer over at Guaranteed Rate Field. Rick Hahn right after the 3.30 news. It's White Sox Weekly 720 WGN. At the wall, the 380. Gone. A three-run homer for Tim Anderson. 3-1 White Sox. Back to White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. 
All right, White Sox Weekly, the live broadcast from Cork and Carey at the Park, presented by Wintrust, the presenting sponsor of the Wintrust Crosstown Series, and sponsored by Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's Beer, 334 on a beautiful Saturday as we bring in the White Sox general manager, Rick Hahn, over at Guaranteed Rate Field. At least I assume he's at Guaranteed Rate Field. Rick, good afternoon. Thanks for taking time. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So a little news today, Luis Robert getting the promotion up to AAA. Uh, he, uh, that guy's got a little bit of talent, Rickon. <laughs> yeah, he's been all right for us so far. Uh, look, when we, when we entered this season, uh, we really hoped for two main things out of Luis. One, stay healthy, be able to be out there on a daily basis. And two, ideally at age 21, show that he can handle a, a rather advanced placement in, in the AA Southern League. Uh, knock on wood, that first one's gone really well, and, and obviously the second one has gone so smoothly that we feel it's appropriate to, to challenge him with, a, with another promotion up to AAA. And so, listen, he hasn't had a ton of minor league at-bats, and I, I get that you guys are going to be patient at AAA as well, but I think if you, if you had to put him in the big leagues right now, he, he wouldn't suffocate, would he? No, he'd survive. He'd survive in the big leagues based upon his tools. But keep in mind what we're trying to do is, is not just put these guys in a position to survive or, or show they can be a big leaguer. We want to put them in a position to have as much success as they're capable of having. And and for that, there requires a little bit of patience at times. And, and uh, as exciting as it might see uh, might look like to have running him out there right now on a, on a nightly basis, it's really not the best thing in terms of putting him in the best position to to have long-term success. The AAA will already be his third level this year. Um, and on top of that, again, big part of this year was just having him healthy for the first full professional season of his White Sox career. So he surpassed, our, I think, our goals and our expectations for him thus far this year. Not going to, uh, We're certainly not going to close our minds to him continuing to do that and, and giving us a, a, some tough decisions to make down the road. But ultimately, that promotion will come when we feel he's in the best position to, to maximize his ability and then have that final element of his development occur at the big league level. Yep, Rick, you broke the news, and about 30 seconds after that, White Sox fans were already predicting when he'll get called up to the major league club. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that, so that expectations have been well been... managed, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that is a possibility that he does make it here to the bigs this year? I mean, I'm not going to say we're ruled that out or that we are completely closed-minded to that possibility. At the same time, uh, having a kid at age 21, 22 when he, in August uh, appear at four different levels in his first full year as a pro is, is asking a lot. Is it impossible? No. But at, at this point, I think we're just very, very pleased with where Luis uh, is in terms of his development and looking forward to seeing uh, how he does at AAA, uh, which will present different challenges to him. All right, we put we did a lot on Luis Robert there. We put him on the frying pan. White Sox general manager Rick Hahn with us. I, I did go out to Vegas and put a couple dollars that he'll be in, in Cooperstown at the end of his career, but we're not going to let, let, let Luis know that point yet. I don't want to put more pressure on the young man. Uh, let's talk about tonight's starter, Lucas Giolito, and his transformation has just been incredible, and Justin Verlander wants to talk to him about the All- at the All-Star game about what he's done to get himself to this point. When did you know, Rick, that, you know, wow, this really is a different Lucas Giolito and, and we might have something that we, I don't think you could expect that he's doing what he's doing this year? 
Well, not not last year, last off season, did we necessarily see that he'd be taking this kind of quantum leap forward. We obviously, you know, going back to when Washington took him out of the draft, we knew as an amateur that he had this level of talent and this kind of upside. But based upon the struggles that he had at the big league level last year, it certainly wasn't going to be uh, it wouldn't have been reasonable to enter the off season and say this is what we're going to get out of Lucas. When he first showed up at Camelback Ranch, and we were able to see him. Uh, with the new arm swing and with the the tighter mechanics that he came up with and and see how the ball was coming out of his hand. It it certainly, even in those first few sidelines, had us talking to each other, talking about, you know, maybe this this is exactly what he needed and he's going to be able to convert on that ability. I mentioned actually during my my media session just a a few minutes ago that uh, James McCann actually happened to catch Lucas's first sideline at, at Camelback this spring, and afterwards he came up to us and said, well, he said, wait a second, he goes, that's a different guy. He goes, I, I have faced him before, and the ball was not coming out of his hand like that. You were much, it was much easier to see. Uh, didn't have that late hop on the fastball, and I didn't even know he had that type of curveball that he was capable of throwing for a strike. So very early on, there were some indications that this was going to be a different Lucas Giolito, but it wasn't obviously until we got a little, little bit into the season and seeing him do it on a, on a fairly consistent basis. You know, actually, he was throwing extremely well for the two innings in the game where he pulled his hamstring, and then he had to wind up on the DL. So it, it, that was sort of when we were starting to build some excitement because he was he – was, starting to do it on a regular basis and he even seemed to take it to a next level in that start and then he got hurt so that that took a little wind out of the sails so it really probably wasn't until he got back from that dl placement that we were like all right he's he's locked in at, and into something special yeah since you met white sox general manager rick Hahn with us here we're live at cork and carry white sox weekly 720 wgn rick since you mentioned james mccann i don't think you could have expected that he would have the year that he's having i'm curious has the way he's performed and the way he's kind of impacted that clubhouse, has that changed the way you're looking at the catching position going forward? Well, we did have a scout, Billy Shear, who covers our big league, uh, the other big league clubs for us, uh, put in a potential all-star report on McCann a few years ago. So there was there was a, a, at least one scout who saw that there was this potential in him. And, you know, frankly, over the course of the offseason, it was our, our farm director, Chris Getz, and our assistant general manager, Jeremy Haber, who were constantly uh, in my office, you know, pushing to, to make sure we converted on McCann. But I think all of us, whether it was Billy or Jeremy or, or Getze, or, or certainly myself, thought that what we were getting was going to be primarily of benefit on, on the defensive side, that he was going to be someone who could help nurture our young starters, that he was going to be someone who could control the running game, who was going to stick to a game plan, and, and be a very positive impact that way. Uh, James himself showed up to spring training with a slightly different approach mechanically uh, in terms of his, his swing, and obviously sitting, you know, starting at the when the game started in March to, to right now, it, it's agreed with him very well. So I don't think any of us saw this full package coming from him, but in terms of uh, the clubhouse benefit and the, the benefit to our pitchers, that, that was something we thought we were getting based on his reputation and, and uh, our evaluations. Through 84 games last season, Yoel Moncada was batting 224. He had 119 strikeouts. Through 84 games this year, he's batting 304. He's got 16 homers, 47 RBI, and he's cut down on strikeouts as that's well. That's better. That's definitely that is, better. I can confirm that's better. 
Um, <laughs> what have you seen from Yoan? And it, look, he's talked about the move to third, how how that's helped as well. But I, he's he's quietly having a really really good year, and I don't think uh, enough people are talking about it. You, you could make a case for the All Star game for Yoan. No, I agree with you. And you know, granted, I'm biased, but I certainly thought that Mankata's first hat merited a, an All Star team berth. Uh, he's been very solid over there at third base, starting with the defensive side of things, and and uh, I think the. Uh, position has allowed for his athleticism to take over a little bit more, which is obviously a, a huge attribute of his. From an offensive standpoint, he looked at every at-bat he had last year with uh, uh, both Todd Steverson, our hitting coach, and Ricky Renteria and very early in the offseason and talked about some of the adjustments that uh, they wanted to make, a minor one with his hands that he took to fairly quickly, uh, as well as sort of his approach. Now, he, he is blessed with a marvelous eye at the plate, uh, we saw last year some of the downside of that, where he would uh, get himself into into uh, counts where he wasn't really taking advantage early in the count of, of having the count in his favor, and he was unfortunately getting punched out on some borderline calls as a rookie that that certainly affected his overall yep. performance. In talking with Yohan over the course of the offseason, early this season, they got him to be a little bit more aggressive on on balls that he can do damage on early in the count, and I think that's that's played out very well for him so far. Are. You know he's he's still extremely young. Uh, I think he's now officially been in the states uh, playing professionally for only four years, and it's not shocking that it's taking a little time for him to to blossom into the player that, uh, that he's capable of being. We, we we think there's even more there that you'll see over the coming seasons, and uh, you know he's a nice reminder that unfortunately these guys don't always hit on all cylinders immediately upon promotion, and there's some there's some growing that has to take place at the big league level. White Sox general manager Rick Hahn, Mark Carmen, and Kevin Powell out of Cork and Kerry. Sox and Cubs coming up here. You got an opportunity, Rick, to be 500 if you win this weekend, take the two, or you're at worst four games under. I'm just, and I know it's not about the record either. So how do you assess the first half right now? I, I think you're right. It, it's not about the record. Frankly, on a on a nightly basis, you know, we're sitting there grinding it out and wanting to win as many ball games as possible. Ricky and his staff, the players in that clubhouse, they all and, and the front office as well take losses hard. So we we want to win every night. At the same time, as I've talked about going back to spring training, this season is as much about how some of this young core comes together and how they progress at the big league level. More as much more about that than it is about the final win and loss total. Uh, I think you know being, as you said, two games under right now is, is, is great. Uh, at the same time, uh, that's not where we ultimately want to be, but we've seen some of the young key players, whether it's Tim Anderson or Moncada or Eloy or Giolito and, and more recently Cease, show at the big league level that they're potentially capable of, of being the, the part of a championship core. And, and that, frankly, has been so much more important about where, given where we are in year three of this rebuild than about the ultimate wins and won and lost record. Well, like, what would you say you're, you've been most happy about and what would you say you're, you would like to see develop further going, going forward? You know the the sort of downside. I'll take the downside part first. It's it's uh, no secret we've been bitten pretty hard by the injury bug, and that that hurts. You know because it, it's 
you, you feel for the individual who's going down, who's not going to be able to contribute, who's not going to be able, who's going to miss a year or at least a few months of their development. Uh, and overall, it's, it can be frustrating because you all, you know, not just in the front office or in player development or our scouts, but fans throughout White Sox Nation are, you know, eagerly awaiting these guys coming together. And when a handful of them sort of get derailed because of injury, it, it can hurt. Uh, so that's probably been the part that you like to think that these things do tend to even out over time. And obviously, we've, we've had a very long history of, of success in terms of keeping players healthy that you'd like to believe this is you know sort of a temporary thing that we just need to get through. And, and uh, we've been doing it that way. On the positive side, boy, it's, it, it's tough to, to pick one because there's been a lot of things that we've talked about already at the big league level that have been great steps forward, whether it's the, the Giolito All-Star berth or, or uh, Moncada and T.A. playing like All-Stars or the progress that Eloy Jimenez has made over the last few months as a big leaguer. And But as we started this conversation, there's things going on at the minor league level, whether it's Luis Robert or Nick Madrigal and, and uh, as of recent weeks, Blake Rutherford and Gavin Sheets at AA and what they've done, uh, Steel Walker at, at uh, High A. I mean, there's a lot on a nightly basis as you look up and down the system uh, to start feeling like this is coming together. Uh, I think you've heard me say a few times here in the last few weeks that it feels like we are, we are finally approaching the end of the beginning of this rebuild, and uh, that makes you excited for, for what lies ahead. Rick, this uh, Cubs-Sox series has kind of gotten to a, a level we haven't seen it at in, in quite some time. You guys are at a 12-game improvement, playing much better this season. Cubs still in the championship window, and now there's the lair of Dylan and Eloy up on the big league roster. Hmm. It's just, it's, it's, it was a lot of fun at Wrigley. Of course, Eloy had the huge home in the ninth, and now there's a lot of excitement this weekend as well. How fun has it been for you and kind of seeing this rivalry, this cross-down classic, cross-down series kind of evolve over the past couple of years? You know, wearing my general manager's hat, I, I try to be a little bit more clinical and objective about the, these things. And you look at this, you're like, boy, you know, uh, a three-game set against Detroit probably means a little bit more than a two-game set against the Cubs uh, in terms of our ultimate, you know, where we finish. Taking two out of three from Minnesota, the first base club in our division last week, uh, was was probably a more important sign towards where we are currently than whatever happens versus the Cubs. But at the same time, look, we all got into this game because we're we're fans at heart, and having you know fan excitement and a full house and a playoff type ex- uh, atmosphere, you start getting a little little fired up. You start feeling. Uh, you know that rivalry, even though in reality we really don't affect each other's seasons more than these four games. So it, it, it's a good feeling. It's good to be able to have that level of excitement for our fans, and it's something we feel as well. At the same time, you know, once we get on the other side of this break, it, it's back to work in, in terms of building uh, towards what we feel is a very bright future. Rick Hahn, one more question before you go. We really appreciate the time. Let's just talk about the deadline here. People are wondering, are they, what are they going to do with column A and what are they going to do as far as subtracting or adding? And you've said that you're about, uh, you'd add a piece, but it's got to be somebody that could help you down the line. I'm assuming with a guy like column A, like, hey, we're not looking to trade him, but if you're going to give me that, then, then I would consider it. Is, the, is, is that about fair? I think that's generally fair, whether you're talking about, however you're talking about any of these deals that involves a player that's here potentially during what we feel is going to be, you know, the opening of our, our window. 
Uh, it comes down to balancing market value, what you can get back in return, and how that helps us going forward versus the value of having that player on our roster in 2020 or 2021, depending on how long the control is. And, you know, this year is a little bit different you know, than we've had in years past, in part because we don't quite have those expiring assets, so to speak. There's no Soria or Swarzak who's in the last year of their deal, and it certainly makes far more sense to move than, than to hold, given where we were. And second, you know, we're getting we're getting closer to that next stage where you know every win's going to matter to us, and we're going to be you know in a position to get closer and closer to winning a championship. So, moving short-term assets such as two years of control guys is a little bit different of a calculus than it was in the earlier stages of this rebuild. So, a lot of this will be dictated by the market. Supply and demand is going to have a lot to say about it. You know, there's going to be I'm guessing when you ask about column A, there's going to be some quality relievers out there available from other clubs. So. In the end, we just have to balance what the potential value is from any move for the for the long term versus the benefit of just keeping the guy. Rick, you're the best. Congratulations at being at the end of the beginning, and I know you're looking forward to Stage 2, Stage 3, World Series, all that coming down the pipe here. Thanks for being on today, Rick. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. WGN, the team's flagship radio station. You're listening to White Sox Weekly on the home of the Sox, 720 WGN. We are broadcasting live from Cork and Kerry at the park, presented by Wintrust, the presenting sponsor of the Wintrust Crosstown Series, and sponsored by the Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's Beer. The Rokan Show has emerged, has lifted up. Roe and Roper and Kevin and Lauren are all here. We're hijacking your, your weekly show, Carmen. You're taking over White Sox Weekly. I, I, I appreciate it. Thank you for coming by. Goose Island's already flowing. Uh, let's, go, let's go emotions here, Ro. Coming into a Cubs Sox right into the All-Star break. Uh, you look ready. I am. Actually, what's really interesting is Mr. Roper on the way over here just pointed out uh, that uh, you know the Cubs and Sox have almost parallel records right now. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? It is. Did anybody anticipate that? No. Ever that this was going to be the case? <laughs> And that you have a, a White Sox team that is ascendant right now and a Cubs team trying to figure itself out at a point where literally Joe Madden might get kicked out of baseball before the end of the season, right? I mean, it's, it's, he's at that point of anger. He may, he may strike someone. He might bring a weapon. I don't know what's going to happen. Unless he spin moves you and sticks right. around for a little bit I longer. saw him doing that in the aisle at Binney's the other day. They didn't have his wine there. And he almost <laughs> was trying to go after the assistant manager. Fortunately, Chris Bryant was there to hold him down with two fingers. Thank God. Like you did on the field. Thank I, God. I, I do want to, like, if, if, just because you brought up Madden, don't fire Joe Madden. Oh, uh, no, no, uh, no, all no. of us at White Sox Weekly do not support that at all, right? I mean, why would you fire the guy that you want to work? That just seems well, ridiculous Well, I've said that, like, a bill, you know, over the past couple of years, the talk of Madden, the, the guy who led the Cubs to the first World Series in 108 years, you figure would have a statue outside Wrigley right, in yes. a matter of minutes. Not right. he's on the hot seat the second he leaves, I'll roll his Chapman in for too long in 2016. <laughs> so... You know, it's he's Carm, one of the best managers of baseball. It, uh, Kevin's absolutely right, Carm. It's, it's the Cubs fan. People always think of the Sox fans as the pessimists, as the chip on their shoulders, but the Cubs fans are much bigger whiners. They they were complaining. <laughs> they were complaining after the seventh game of the World Series about how Madden used his bullpen after the Cubs had won. There, we talked about this. There are people on social media wondering if Chris Bryant has peaked, if they should get rid of him. In, in contrast to that, if you were a member of the 2005 White Sox, if you were Jeff Blum. Yeah, you have a season <laughs> pass to get in for free. If you're Joe Creedy, you're part of the monument out there. If you're Scotty Pods, there's you're on TV. 
Right. But, but if you're part of the Cubs team, you just did one thing wrong. Oh, we got to get rid of Chris Bryant, man. Man, that guy, he peaked when he was 24. Okay, well, you know, I hate to say this. As somebody who grew up in, you know, I'm an North Side. I, I'm, excuse Sorry. me, I'm familiar with the issue. And it's, and, and what I see now, what is really interesting about these couple of years that we've been, you know, associated with the White Sox is, again, it's, it's like almost like a Bears fandom, right? You go to Soldier Field, and who do you see at Soldier Field? You see, uh, in terms of jerseys, right? 54. You the, right. You see all the greats. You see, you know, Peyton. And, uh, like, who wouldn't have those in the first place? But you come down here to 35th and Shields. That's true. And it's Creedy. It's Pods. It's all of these jerseys that... Tommy, Burley. Once right. in a while, you'll see yeah. a Bartman. A White Sox Bartman jersey for people rubbing it in, which is, I don't condone. That's that true, either. but it is. But I think the emotions are different. You know, yeah. I mean, we're in a moment here where baseball is being played at a really competitive level on both sides of town. If I just want to go back to the White Sox for a second, that doubleheader on Wednesday night yeah. was one of the greatest sporting events I have ever been to. Maybe one I mean, of the best days of baseball ever right. in my life, at least. I totally agree. I, I was doing the post game after Edwards, and I'm saying that this is a huge day. You just saw Dylan Cease on the mound. You won the game. He started terrible. He pitched well, five innings through, and you're seeing all the talent. And then you win on a walk off with Jose Abreu. It's just a yeah. sweet day. All right, I'm going to throw something crazy at you. To me, it was June 23rd, 1984, for the Cubs. Okay, Ryan. People will remember that game. Ryan, Ryan Sandberg. Uh, you know, Bobby Dernier, they're, they're incredible game. It was that extra inning game against St. Louis that they came back and won. It, it, and as, as a matter of fact, Bob Costas calls it one of the greatest games he's ever called in his life, right? So I felt that the exact same emotion and momentum, and they had more than 50,000 people in the stadium mm-hmm. on Wednesday, the White Sox did. They had the fireworks night afterwards, and no one left. So many people there. It was the most amazing thing. And also, in addition to all of that, you know, you saw uh, Moncada with the big day solidifying his resurgence. His surgeons really become, Kevin has talked a lot about this. I know you have, Karma, about him realizing his potential. In the middle of all that, on top of everything else, Michael Kopech got engaged to his girlfriend. He's on the TV series Riverdale. Under a waterfall on the planet Asgard, apparently, because like, you know, he had to be—he wanted to be a part of the day. And Cordell, with the biggest game of his life, arguably, yes. he really made a name for Huge himself. Step. I just yeah. think it's a sign of where they are with this rebuild. Where for three, four, five years stretch, I don't think we had like one single moment like that or a day like right. that. Now we've already had. A that sort of day, we've had Eloy hit a ninth-inning home run at Wrigley under the lights against the team that traded him away. We've had moments like Michael Kopech's debut, Dylan's. Like, there have been a lot of memorable moments over the past couple of years, and I think that shows where they are in this rebuild, and they are ascending as a team, and they're winning a lot more, too. That helps. I like that you brought up the Eli thing, because you guys were all sitting there in the front row, and, <laughs> no, big deal. and no big thing, right right there, you know, next to Ricketts, and here's Eli in the ninth inning at Wrigley, ball goes flying into the left Broken bat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the crowd at Wrigley, there were a, it was like a White Sox rise up out of nowhere. Yeah, I thought much, it was like 70-30 Cub fans, and that ball's hit, and I go, whoa! The entire ballpark just erupted after he hit that. Yeah. yeah. No, there was a lot of Sox fans. I honestly thought about 35% Sox fans because on most plays, I hear I heard a good amount of cheering. And trust me, you're not going to hear a Cubs fan cheer for anything that we do. And maybe vice versa. But, um, Probably true. Can I also mention... <laughs> yes. What, Ro, what exactly? What, what, Ro yes. called that home run 
five seconds before it happened, uh-huh. and it blew my mind. He just sat there the whole time watching it happen, and I'm like on my feet, like, what? is going on <laughs> i was like mixed between being so excited and how did you do that did you see that wait how did you do that <laughs> i mean in-game wagering bro yeah i know just i could tell i could, he was right for it well this is the thing about thank the you illinois state legislature <laughs> the, the uh you know there's a there's a moment here where if you go back in you know to the cubs in 2014 15 uh the, the very much the exact same sort of emotion here right with everybody can kind of see Eloy coming around. Yep. Moncada has come around. You know, Aloy's got to get used to you know, first he got over the, he was he was cowed by the pitching, then he beat the pitching, now the pitching is adjusting to him yeah. and he's going to have to learn all of those different things. But my God, when he stands up there I will never forget the first time I saw Frank Thomas at the plate. Mm-hmm. And Frank Thomas to me yeah, it was one of those guys where I thought you know, as a, as a high school pitcher myself, Carm, I don't know if you know this. I, I didn't know that, Roe. That's awesome. Uh, I thought, now, as a pitcher, what do you do? Like a major league pitcher, what do you do with a guy like that? How do you pitch to him? Like Andre Dawson, same way. When he stood there, what do you do with him? I feel the same way about Eloy Jimenez. I think when he's standing up there, what do you do? Because he, he can get anywhere, and he's he's a monster. Were you a spitball guy, split finger guy, curveball? What, what was the Rokan uh, repertoire like? Split finger, because it was Bruce Suter era, so I knew how to throw. See, that. now he really has to do fast pitch with you. <laughs> Six of the eight teams in that league were Country Day something or another. So yeah. like, doesn't, 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 don't judge. Elgin Academy. Hello. <laughs> I, I, can we get a high school? Can I get a? Can we get a manager? Can I, I'd like to actually hear the whole story here. That's the weirdness I, that know, I bring to funny, the table. I just, forgot, I just had a small. <laughs> Stroke. I can't remember where we went to high school. Go ahead. Yeah. I, well, to your Eloy point, though, I just, I just want to. I, I, I see the same thing. That is, if I'm a pitcher and I'm looking at, at Eloy and he's got that weird little stance that he does, and, and you're just look. That is an intimidating dude up there. And Frank, in his prime, like, how are you going to get that guy out? He's going to spit on the ball that's on the outside corner yeah. just off the yeah. plate, and then he's going to take you deep, or he's going to shoot you to right field. I mean, there was. Right. These, these, these are big time fun, dudes. It's a very fun thing in today's game. Tonight's game is going to be amazing. This, this, these two games mean a ton to both teams. When is the last time? It's true. The last time that this series meant anything to anybody except for the fans. Yeah, and it's a good point. It, the, the White Sox have an opportunity to finish 500 in yes. the first half, which is sweet. But they just want to beat the Cubs. Period. I mean, I ran into Charlie Tilson before the game. Here's a guy. New Trier High yes, School. Yes, he grew up a Cubs fan. I mean, right, and, and so here he is getting to play in this game. Pretty cool. It's it's it's. It, I, I love Cubs Sox. He was a White Sox fan. Yeah, he was a White Sox fan. Charlie Tosi. Yeah, he, he he grew up a Sox fan, and then he mm-hmm. now he's he hated Sammy. Hated so. Well, hated so, so I got so. him to admit that. Right. He, well, it was, it was uncomfortable for him, but he admitted it. <laughs> It's like it's more about the rivalry than any particular player. But you, come on, if you grew up here, there's always a Cub that you didn't like. Lauren Lapkin, did you have a Cub you didn't like? Most of them. Yeah. Most of them. There you <laughs> well, go. listen, I, you know, Sammy Sosa had some legitimate home runs in the brief time he was on the White Sox. <laughs> That's true. And the Rangers. That's true. And he weighed 112. <laughs> who's who's Roper's favorite White Sox of all time? Dick Allen. Aww. Oh. Dick Allen. Yeah. Such a okay. good number 15. And that is and because that's my favorite uniform of all time. So yeah. I said red yeah. and white uniform. I love when you see that in the ballpark now. And you walk around and you see, we just had a... Our, the pinstripes. Our, our friend Wally was just here, who's wearing the, the red Sox hat. That, to me, that's what I grew up with, right? So that means that that was... Because I, I grew up in a, in a split family. Oh. Oh, the worst. It's greatest Sports Illustrated cover, this side of the 80 Muhammad Ali covers, is <laughs> Dick Allen in the White Sox dugout. 
Juggling three baseballs, cigarette dangling from his mouth. <laughs> Ed Herman putting on the shin guards behind him. Season of surprises, it's uh, the White Sox. Is that not unbelievable? They, used to, they would smoke heaters in the dugout. Like when I first started covering. Doing darts in the dugout. Jim, Jimmy Leland used Jim, to smoke all the time. Right. Jim, Jim, even, a, even up until recently, he would go into the tunnel. <laughs> that, that's funny that you name that because that's what I was going to say. Like You would go in the manager's room, and here's Leland with his marble reds. And he's, he's talking to you at his desk, and I'm like, dude, you're uh, don't you know that's bad for you? What are you doing? <laughs> Excuse me, that's bad yeah. for your lungs, sir. Uh, what are we doing here? Yeah, read okay. that. Right. Grab your friends and head to the park for Bleachers and Brews, presented by Budweiser. Get one bleacher seat and two beers for just 22 bucks all season long. Must be 21 and over with a valid ID. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash brew and enter promo code brew. And join us for Marvel Superhero Night. That's Saturday, July 27th. Sox and the Minnesota Twins, 6, 10 p.m. is the first pitch there. All fans are invited to stay for a spectacular post-game fireworks show presented by Magellan Corporation. You can purchase tickets by visiting whitesox.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. Michael Huff's going to talk some White Sox camps. I actually want to hear about camp history of this crew right here coming on back if we, if we can. I, I'm, I'm excited to I, I got I got I got guesses. I feel like Lapka was at uh, like some comic book something type of eclectic camp. Am I wrong? Going to camp? Yes. I actually went to a church camp. So it wasn't very religious, I will say that. Okay, oh well, my God. I look forward to hearing more. Quick time out White Sox Weekly seven twenty WGN. Thank you, Adam Phillips. There we go. All right. The uh, White Sox Weekly, this portion of White Sox Weekly, sponsored by Mazda of Orland Park and ZoomZoomNation.com, where they're always trying to make your car shopping fun. And, yes, we are broadcasting from Cork and Kerry at the park. We're enjoying many, many ice-cold Goose Island beers. Cork and Kerry at the park. 33rd and Princeton, if you want to come on by. We're just a couple blocks north of the field. This is the place to go before and after the game. Cork and Carry at the Park has the best food in the neighborhood. Come on by and say oh. hi. It's all sponsored by Goose Island Beer, Chicago Spirit Row. You like the food? Oh, cor- well, Cork and Carry on Western Avenue is a tradition. I mean, for people mm-hmm. who are from the South Side, it is, you know, it's one of those places. I have um, I've been in many, 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 many different fundraisers for many, 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 many different events uh, and causes. At Cork and Carry, they are one of the most philanthropic bars in town. And as I'm a board member of the Police Memorial Foundation, what they've done for us is unbelievable. So I just want to, you know, I was, whatever they want to do, I'm with them. They're great. They're great. Two, two of my top three uh, Irish counties, Cork and Carry. That's all. <laughs> That's well, remember that. Mayo is also in there for those of you playing at home. So uh, Michael Huff's going to be here at 430. We're going to talk about the White Sox camps. Can I just go around the horn here and get a little – who went to overnight camp on this uh, on this panel right now, the Rocon Show? Anybody? I – yeah, that's uh, how formal I am. I, me, I have. Mm-hmm. You went to church camp for it was it like a two week. No, it was just a week. A That'd week, be crazy. A week church camp. How old was Lauren Lapka? I was fourteen, I believe. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Is that an uh oh? Yeah. Carl, you'll uh, like this. I went to a, a church g- camp. What do you think can happen? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I went to a John Paxson basketball oh my camp. Gosh. I was like <laughs> nine or ten years old. Wow. Pax. He get, everybody got a signed picture. You got to take a picture with Pax. And, like, the next day for the final, like, whatever, they, you got a little little framed picture with you and Paxson. And it said, like, good luck, so-and-so. And 
Mine said, good luck, Brian, from John Paxson. I go, damn oh, it, no. Pax, I'm Kevin. I'm like, oh, he's Well, that's all they had there were ten Kevins had, and four right, Brian. Right. <laughs> I don't, and a couple of chads yeah. mixed in. I don't talk a lot about my camp experience because we went there with eight teenagers, and then after uh, Jason was done with us, we came back with two. We lost six of them to the guy in the hockey mask and the machete. So camp sleepaway. We don't talk about it anymore. <laughs> so I, got, I got no, like, North Shore Jewish kids on this panel here. No. I went to Tamarack Day Camp. Oh. Okay, okay, Tamarack Day Camp. Yes, and then... Uh, North Shore Staple Tamarack Day Camp. Well, you know what's really funny is I could not tell you now. Wow. I went to it like, for five years. I could not tell you where it is. As a matter of fact, they blindfolded us, which I thought was weird. It was like when you had to go to the Bat Cave, right, and they would like blindfold the, you know, the penguin before they'd take him to the Bat Cave. They, we had no idea. And, and like, my parents were like, where is it that you're going? I have... I, and they wanted to come out for, like, Parents' Your Day. Your parents didn't even no. know where you were going? No, And when we, like, for Parents' Day, they're like, well, we can't find it. There's no way to... Which, that's what they told me, at <laughs> we least. We tried, little Ro. Yeah. Uh-huh. They're going to send you to a camp where they have no idea where you are. You wow. haven't met my parents. <laughs> <laughs> that's just... That's just kind of... Uh, that's yeah. disappointing. All right, so I, I did something for you guys. I wanted to uh, bring some history into this. So we have polled the top five... White Sox Cubs rivalry moments. So oh, I, okay. I've got audio to to to, to go cool. here. This is good because last time we did the show <laughs> before the series, mm-hmm. everything we played was Cubs positive stuff, and Row or uh, uh, Richard and Lauren's heads nearly explode. It was all positive Cubs stuff. So we I'm, did the top five and five at right, the last right at, at uh, mm-hmm. yes at, on the north side Part and. Richard and Lauren were not happy with the no, top five and five. Really well, you, you, you'll, you'll definitely like number one. Go ahead, Curtis. That ball hit deep in the left field, way back. He looks up. You can't put it on the ball. Yes! A grand slam homer by El Caballo, Carlos Lee, and the Sox win it here in the bottom of the 10th inning. So we're talking June 8th, 2001, one of the great nicknames in Hawk Harrelson history, El Caballo, for Carlos Lee. And I, I remember actually being at that game and seeing it sail into the night. And I, I was with the White Sox partner, Gerald Ginsburg, good old Jerry Gins, who uh, knew Jerry Reinsdorf way back in the day. And he's nice. all, all the Jer- Like all the partners. Right, right, right. And so Reinsdorf, all he would talk about was the Brooklyn Dodgers. I love the Brooklyn Dodgers. And all this, uh, Jerry Gins would talk about us. I love the White Sox. I love the White Sox. And then Reinsdorf became Reinsdorf. And he called him up one day. He's like, hey, uh, Jerry, you want a little small piece of the team? And that's how these things happen. Right? Like, I feel like Ro knows about how this goes but not more than I'm, anything. I'm familiar with a few of these stories. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You're right. Right, right. All right. Let me get number two, Curtis. The ball hit hard in the left field. Brown going back. Get him. Stretch. It will. You can put it on the board. Yes. And we are right back in this ball game. There's a high, deep drive to left field. Brown back looks up. You can put it on the board. Yes. yes. Erko, four oh, for four, yeah. two homers. Cubs were up eight nothing. June twenty eighth, two thousand and two. White Sox winner, thirteen to nine. Anybody get yeah. emotional when I just Ooh. say the name Paul Konerko? Yeah, like yes, absolutely. yes. <laughs> I got chills uh, listening to that. Actually, God, that was great. Who, uh, who, who in here was was at game two against the Astros when Konerko hit the granny? Anybody? Sure, Richard was. Can, can you can you go can you go deep? Can you get a can I get a memory? Oh, Carmen, it was amazing too because you know okay they won game one but now we're looking at a game two. They're down four to two and it started raining so right. it wasn't exactly conducive to you know hitting the ball. It was looking like the balls were going to die out there. And four to two, Canerico steps up, bases loaded, takes it, 
out of the ballpark. Maybe the top moment, even though they you know, ended up getting tied, then, of course, we got the Pesednik home run. But maybe my favorite moment of all time in that ballpark, it was shaking. It was shaking it, after it that was. home run. It really was. So, Mark Carmen, uh, the only career I've mentioned this a couple times on the radio the last couple of days here, I was vending the ball game, only career that I've actually reached the pinnacle of, rose up from cotton candy to Dove Bars, That's all the way nice, all the, Ooh, ice right? cream. Wait, did you get it all the way to uh, to oh, Bud? All, all the way to Bud, all the way to, right. and here you know, Sox was all a famer. Miller Lite, Miller Draft right. Right. Great taste, less filling. All, always a three to one seller, Miller Lite over MGD it was hard to get rid of the MGD, sometimes you'd have to tell someone they're getting a light, you pour the draft <laughs> <to 79. laughs> these things would happen I was, I had, I had checked out because it's you know it was at seventh inning you're done yeah. i was underneath which is uh in left center he hits the granny i literally thought the thing was going to collapse on me it was, it was so it was, it was nuts that was and of course the white Sox went on to win the world series all right number can i get uh oh, yeah do people remember that i hope so uh, yeah I, I think they might can i just get number uh number four before we get on out of here because it's really my favorite white Sox cub moment got a fastball and there's a fly ball in a short left field Kierzynski wanting to know, am I going? He is going. Here comes a throw by Merton. It is a collision at the plate. And Kierzynski not only bangs into Barrett, bangs onto the plate, and here they go. That was the, the greatest. Okay. I think it's the most infamous Cubs Sox photo ever. Ever. Michael Barrett's striking AJ. Just like both holding Even the Sox fans that love it go, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> I will never forget this moment because my daughter was graduating from high school. And I we we were I was buying her her graduation present and then we were going to go have lunch. We walk into the restaurant and the TV is on and this moment is happening. And my daughter is a lifelong White Sox fan. Lifelong like so angry about is it Richard knows this. Richard has been. True. She got up on the board here at uh, at this at guaranteed rates. I still want to call it the uh, And I mean, it's her greatest moment in her life. And so when we end up getting into the restaurant, she's like, "Oh my gosh!" She wanted. She went insane about the fight. I wanted to make sure that Michael Barrett was dead. I thought that was a little weird. Have him. Have him killed, Dad. Well, Take care of him. I, I, Barrett was completely out of his mind, but it was also at the, at the time, I mean, A.J., he riled up a lot of people. Oh, yeah, day. he's there, an instigator. There was a lot of people that wanted to punch A.J. Przinski, and, and, and Michael Bear was the guy. Right, we're going to have Dylan Cease here in a second. You want me to take a quick break, Rick Geezer? All right. Dylan Cease is going to be here in the next minute or two, but we'll try to slip in a commercial right now, 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly 720 WGN. We've got a, a couple of minutes here with the newest White Sox pitcher, Dylan Cease, joining us right now on 720 WGN. Dylan, you're awesome. Thank you for taking a minute here. We really appreciate it. Uh, biggest thing that you were proud of from your first outing? Obviously, the first inning went a little longer than you liked. I'm assuming that you just felt great that you were able to write the ship. What would you say? Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, after that first inning, uh, you know, I was just – my mindset was I wanted to get through five. Um, so, fortunately, I was able to make some adjustments. Um, I didn't really command well the whole game, but I was able to throw enough strikes to get through five, and we got a win. So, uh, you know, you can never you can never complain when you get a win. You didn't get to celebrate afterwards because it was a, the doubleheader, Dylan. That seems unfair <laughs> to a guy making a debut. Uh, you know, honestly, at, at this point, I will, I will, uh, I'll take anything really. So, I was I was happy with another win after that was that was a good enough celebration. 
There you go. Dylan, what's it like getting called up into a big league clubhouse with this sort of environment where you have a lot of players that have gone through what you've been through over the past few years where you, you were a prize prospect and now you're here. What's it been like with the Lucas Giolitos and, and, and Yoel Moncadas having them around for you? Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's definitely comforting. Um, you know, if I have any questions or, uh, you know, in general, if I'm, if I'm doing something that needs to be corrected, you know, they're there for me, so... It just adds, a, adds that comfort level, but at the same time, you know, it adds, it adds that, that support system to develop and grow. So, uh, did uh, we heard a story that Lucas Giolito gave you a little bit of uh, like in in game tuning advice during that game? Is that true? Yeah, uh, it was after that first inning, and I came in and you know, we were talking. I said some of my fastballs look like wiffle ball, like they're cutting like wiffle balls. Uh, so he just talked to me about, you know, some direction and, and little tweaks um, that I was able to take in into the next couple innings and take it on my side today. And, uh, you know, we'll see my next outing if I can have no balls cut on me, which would be ideal. Dylan, a lot of people have been commenting on how you have seemed so calm, cool, and collected. Your face yes. is always very stoic, but, you know, huh. you still got a little bit of a smile. Mm-hmm. How did you stay so calm in such a pressure moment? Um, you know, I think just not trying to do too much uh, at the end of the day. You know, I, I was just trying to execute pitches and, um, you know, stay within myself. Um, I, I believe in myself and I believe in the team, so there's no reason to, to panic if you're going to hurt myself. I just need to, you know, execute pitches and, and do what I'm doing. Dylan, can you talk real quick a little bit about how important it was for your family to be there for that first win, what that feeling was like for you, everybody there, including your brother? Yeah, I mean, I think they were probably more excited than I was. Um, for this to be five years in the making, well, really my whole life in the making, and you know, for a bunch of them to be able to make it out and uh, be here with me and for me, uh, I couldn't ask for anything better. Dylan, after the game, we asked you about your, your jersey number selection, and you kind of <laughs> shrugged it off. And, but that, then we've heard other stories. Richard Roper was telling us a story of how you got to 84. Jason Benetti said the same thing as Richard said. Why did you go with 84? Uh, you know, I'm not really partial in numbers, and uh, you know, I decided to ride with 84 and see if it uh, if it worked for me. Okay. So far, it's working. It has nothing to do with yoga because we yeah. keep hearing the story about <laughs> yoga, and, I, and you know what? And I, I won three bar bets Wednesday night because of that because we were able to find it in the press. So it, it works out. Do you know? To me, uh, as a lifelong Chicago baseball fan, this the, that game that Wednesday that doubleheader win, you winning the first half, and then the you know the walk off to win the second half. One of the greatest days in baseball history in Chicago. Congratulations, Dylan. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, I couldn't have asked for anything better. Hey, Dylan, just one uh, one question. Just looking forward, are you expecting to pitch the rest of the season? Because it's going to be a jump for you in innings. How, how are you feeling physically? Have they told you anything as far as what the rest of the season looks like? I feel great physically. Um, you know, I think uh, as of right now, it's so much to take in. Um, you know, going from minors to the majors, I think they're trying to keep as little on my plate as they can, and we're just taking it day by day. But, um, you know, I'm fully anticipating pitching the whole year. Um, but obviously, it's, it's whatever the team wants and uh, sees, sees what's best for me. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we really appreciate you taking time right now. I know you got a workout you got to get to. So thanks so much for jumping on White Sox Weekly. And good luck the rest of the way, Dylan. You're awesome. Awesome. Thank you for having me. A high fly ball and a deep left field. Schwarber turns and looks, and it's gone. Eloy Jimenez has just hit a two-run bomb. 
And it's 3-1 White Sox. Jimenez floats around the bases here at Wrigley Field in his first ever game against his former team. I don't think his feet have touched the ground yet. There will not be a better feeling for him. He will remember that home run. It's just one you just want to remind your former mates, look what I can do. That was a moment for sure right there. 720 WGN White Sox Weekly. Today's live broadcast from Cork and Carey at the Park presented by Wintrust. The presenting sponsor of the Wintrust Crosstown Series and sponsored by the Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's Beer. Thanks again to Dylan Cease for jumping on. And thank you to the director of youth baseball and fast pitch for your Chicago White Sox, Michael Huff, who joins us now at Cork and Kerry. Michael, great to see you. And let me, uh, there we go, Kevin. Good seeing you again, Mark. Yes. I'll try that one more time. Well, you, 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 Good you, being here. You jumped, in, <laughs> you jumped in. I got to uh, sit in for Steve Cochran on Friday, but I figured, you, you know, this is, you're a guy who played in these games. People don't necessarily remember before Cubs and Sox started for real in 1998, which, uh, or was it 96, no, 97, I think is when they started. I nine, played in the 91, 2, and 3 games. Okay, right. So you played in 91, 92, and 93, and these were games that did not count. Except for the city of Chicago. Except for the city of Chicago, and it was one game. One game only. We just went back and forth and it, different parts. It mattered a ton. Oh, gosh, yeah. It was, it I mean, was. it was a flat-out big deal. It was, and for me, I was, I was kind of lucky because playing for the White Sox, a college teammate and still a good friend of mine, Joe Girardi, was the catcher for the Cubs. And so I always made sure, you know, Joe, remember, your mom and dad used to stay with my family when they would come <laughs> to those Big Ten weekends, so I need to know the pitches as they're coming in every now and then. So we, uh, we always seemed to get the better of the Cubs, even after I left when Michael Jordan played. Uh, it was very, very fun kind of uh, being able to hold our chest a little bit higher when the Sox would win. So even if they didn't technically matter back then, it still mattered to you guys. So fast forward to now... And where the series is at with the Sox ascending, where the Cubs being where they're at, this the series feels different right now than it has in recent years. Oh, and 100%. And because the White Sox are ascending, because right now we see the Cubs in a little bit of a struggle, uh, there's a little bit more, you know, weight to the game on both sides. Yeah. And you think about going into the All-Star break, if the, if the Sox can win these two, who would have put money that before the season began at the All-Star breaks, the Sox would have fewer losses than the Cubs. Crazy to see how good these young Sox players are doing. I've heard that even when the games didn't matter, there were huge crowds for those games. Huge. <laughs> Standing room only, yeah. both up in Wrigley and here, again, at places like the Cork and Carry, it was flowing out just because everyone wanted to say they were a part of it. And all the starters did play, but they only played for like five, six innings. Right. And then they were able to bring up some younger kids because you, you had to really save your pitchers. So it was a young prospect pitcher that was coming up for the Cubs or the Sox. The real players playing for two or three at-bats, and then you would have everybody else. All right, we can't brush over the whole Michael Jordan thing, which, uh, of course, he hit the double down the line. Yeah. Off if, the if, if Carmen hears Jordan, is his mind just right. starts to oh. race. There's not yeah. a bigger Jordan fan than Carmen. Hit the double off of Dave Otto, no big deal. The little chopper <laughs> down the left field line. Doesn't matter, it's a double. Right, well, it wasn't hit hard, but it was it was put in the right place. But you trained Michael. Yes. So he's, he retires from basketball. People might not remember this for the first time in 93. And then he's going to play baseball, and you're the guy training him? Yeah, Jerry Reinsdorf ends up calling me saying, Mike, where are you working out this winter? I'm like, at Northwestern, live on the north side. Girardi and I helping the club. You're 
Northwestern man, you know that. He's like, well, would you come down here and teach someone how to catch and throw a ball? Someone. Someone, yeah, and I'm I like, like that. Uh, can you t- that's my job. I like my job. Or, can you tell me who this is? And he's like, no, but will you commit to coming down and helping the club out? And I'm like, uh, sh- of course, I'll, help the- I'll be the team. And then like a week later, that guy, Michael Jordan, wanted to play. I'm like, okay, I can train that guy. Was that intimidating at all? Incredibly intimidating. Yeah, it, the intimidating part was because we would start here and then we would go over to IIT three days a week. And usually once every other week, some security guard would roll a basketball out there as we're doing outfield drills. And he was very, Mike, am I doing this right? Am I drop step right? Am I holding the ball right? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And someone would roll a basketball out and it would be like he'd kind of lean over and just go, and then just suck yep. it into his hand and start dribbling and shooting and jumping. And, and I'm like, why are you doing this again? This is so natural to you. This is so unnatural to you. And he's like, this has always been my dream. But he was very sincere about trying, and he worked his butt off that winter going into spring training. A lot of, a lot of people that followed him closely, I know there's been documentaries about it, and he struggled, obviously, as he started, but there was a lot of people at the end of it who said if he really stuck it out, he probably could have been a major leaguer, an everyday type big leaguer. Do you believe in that? No. You th- no? No. You, he didn't have enough? No. He was starting too late. He was just starting too late. Give me a 24th, 25th guy. The guy, he stole. He stole. He stole. <laughs> He's lobbying no. for Jordan. No, I'm sorry. He stole 30 bases. He had 50 ribbies at double A. Not easy to do after about no, half of 50 years. Very true. A- and he hit 267 in the Arizona following now. And that was back when the Arizona Fall League wasn't quite like the Arizona Fall League is now. That's okay, fair enough. But, but, but you know, he's... No, he, to your point, no, he wouldn't have. Uh, and if he was, he, he probably would have gotten there for the name. And I think that's when he began to realize, you know what, I am getting better. But with my age and the progress that I'm making, if I get there in the next two years, which probably would have been the path, he knew he was going to be taking a spot from someone that clearly was better, and he's like, you know what? Time to get back to where I belong, which was great for all of us in Chicago. Three more championships. But he didn't. I'm assuming he didn't big time you at all. No, never. I mean, to the point that he was almost embarrassed when other people were like, "Haven't you given Michael like an autograph basketball, or haven't you given him some Nike attire?" And he's like, "Uh." No, Mike. And I'm like, I'm, I'm here to work with you. We're teammates. And he's like, what size are you? And I would say it. And like the next day, there's like three sets of shoes, three sweats. And I'm like, uh, so okay. No biggie. That must no. be nice when you can make a phone call and it's there tomorrow. Michael Huff is here at uh, Cork and Carey, Director of Youth Baseball and Passport for the Chicago White Sox. So I know we got camps going on here right now. Let's, yeah. let's get some information out there. It's credible. WhiteSox.com slash play. We've got over 1,800 kids already registered. Only one month down. We have July and August still. Six more weeks of camps. We're trying to get to 2,000. I have no doubts we will, but camps all the way up in Libertyville, as far west as Elgin, down in uh, Dyer on the south side, Homewood, South Holland, but we also have two in the city, one up in Dunham Park on the north side, uh, (laughs) as well as one right here at Armour Square in Bridgeport. It it seems like this has been always such one of the more popular camps throughout the Chicago. Even as a kid, I knew people that would do the White Sox camps. What's the participation like? There's got to be huge numbers for these camps, right? I mean, we typically get 50 to 70 kids in the camp and for three hours Monday through Friday first two hours is, is basics it's fundamentals it's teaching the kids here's how you throw how you catch as I jokingly say here's how you don't screw the kids up we don't know who's going to be the next Mike Huff but we can make sure that they have the best chance possible and the last hour is all about games and playing and game situations so they have a lot of fun the neatest part is that because we are the White Sox every kid is going to get four tickets to a Sox game on a Friday or Saturday night they're going to get to see a fireworks game. They're going to get to be a part of a Q&A with one of the current size players, Jason Benetti, one of the coaches, and then stay for batting practice. 
so they can watch the big leaguers, how they go the opposite way, how they work on a hit and run, and all the little things that we're telling them, they get to actually see, and then they're staying for the game, and afterwards, they're the fireworks. Man, I wish I could go. Do you, do you see a correlation that... <laughs> I'm with Lauren. Fantasy yeah, camp. That's awesome. Do you see a correlation that as, you know, the team is really progressing, more people are getting interested in the camp? Well, a little bit of the summer camps, yes, but also the White Sox have a Jersey League program where they literally provide jerseys for 12 different leagues, again, from the north side, inner city, south side, and those leagues that participate with us, where we're doing coaches' clinics and we're running some first practices, so to speak, every one of those leagues, the numbers have increased. So you can see there's interest in the kids, especially when we can sort of help make sure, like I said, we, they don't screw up. And even if it's a kid by the end of the year, just making a play and throwing it across the infield, or the guy first catching it, making solid contact for three at-bats, not striking out twice, they're walking away just having more fun in the game, and we know they're going to come back the next year. As the, the game evolves and changes so much, like year to year it feels like, does any of the youth instruction have, that you've seen who's been so close to it, has it changed at all? Is it really just the key fundamentals that everybody kind of knows through T-Ball? Unfortunately, it has changed a bunch. Great question. There are so many people out there now that are talking all technical and drop and angle and right. launch, and it's like, dude, these are 10-year-old kids. It's catching, it's throwing, and it's fielding. And whether you're a Cub or a Sox, you go to their spring trainings, they're going to be doing 90% of the same right. stuff. And what we're teaching is our coaches get to talk to the Sox coaches. We're implementing those basic fundamental drills that, again, try to put these kids in the best position possible. Now, like we talked about, Mark, we have travel teams, and we last year trained over 125 outside travel organizations, our coaches working with theirs. Now, those kids, that's when we start to get excited. That's when our juices flow, and that's when we get to talk a little bit more technical. And I told Mark, we've had kids this last Tuesday out here, over 20 girls that have signed scholarships, over 15 boys that have signed scholarships to colleges from Louisville, Notre Dame, Northwestern, Indiana, like big time programs, all the way down to like a Triton Junior College or a North Central. So we're trying to maximize a kid's talent to get them into a junior college or D3, but for those freaks, yeah, we can help make sure they're going to the powerhouse D1 programs, both girls and boys. It's like taking AP classes. Make sure you're getting there. You're in the right level. Got it. Yeah, exactly. Travel team trials are coming up July 22 through the 24th for, for the base, boys. For yes. the boys. And then fast pitch uh, August 1st, August 1st through, through the 4th. So parents come up to you, hey, my kid's really, really good at baseball. Can you help them get a scholarship? What do you say? I say, we're going to help maximize whatever abilities they have. So we'd love to have them come in. We're going to work with them a little bit, and we're going to make sure that we can get them as far as possible. And if you yell at one umpire in a game that I'm at, I will take your kid off the field. Do you ever have that one? <laughs> Uh, yes, um, and I try very hard to say to the parents, look, it, it, you know, no umpire is trying to get your kid out. You know, they're there. Just cut them a little bit of slack as well. And I, I joke about it, but it really actually isn't a joking thing. Like, you're going to ruin the experience oh, yes. for your kid. You're going to ruin it also for the other kids. Yep. You're going to make it uncomfortable for the other parents that are there. And I, I'm trying to just... From calm messaging out to the world, you are going to go and watch your kid, and you probably are going to want to say something to the umpire, and you probably are going to be mad at little Billy who just struck out your kid. So if you can't handle that, and just know that that's going to happen, right. then if, if you know that you're, it's going to happen, so if you know that, and that at that point it's not going to work for you, then go sit in the right field corner where nobody can hear you. Exactly. And we talked about it on the show um, that... 
if I say to the parents all the time, you know, after we go through these practice and teach them some of the fundamentals, I'm sure mom or dad, when your kid does this wrong in the game, you're going to yell at them and point it out, right? And they're like, of course. I'm like, no, you're not. You're going to talk to them on the way home, right? Of course we are. No, you're not. You're going to get to work with them tomorrow in the backyard, and that's when you get to say, you know, your toes are pointed out, you were dropping this, but only when you start to practice with them the day after. Let this game be fun, and go have some fun with them afterwards. All right, let's, have, let's work the process. Yes. Let's, let's, let's get out here, and, 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 and you know? Yes. All the great ones, that, that's what they do. Michael, great to see you. Oh the web, gosh, website one more time. Whitesox.com slash play, either for the summer camps or the travel team tryouts. So let's hear it for Michael. Huff. Yes. Hey, you can learn from the kids. Uh, this is a timely ad here. Learn from the pros this summer at a White Sox summer camp starting at $149. As we're just talking, kids ages 5 to 12 can register for a camp at any of our 30 locations. All participants will receive a White Sox hat, T-shirt, four game tickets, an exclusive look at Guaranteed Right Field. Register today at whitesox.com slash play. And head to the park on Saturday, July 27th, as the Sox take on the Twins at 610. It's Marvel Superhero Nights, and the first 12,000 fans will take home a White Sox Spider-Man bobblehead, and they look super cool. So get your tickets today at whitesox.com. We are broadcasting live from Cork and Carry at the Park, presented by Wintrust, presenting the presenting sponsor of the Wintrust Crosstown Series, sponsored by Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's Beer, here till 540 on 720 WGN. It's great to be back with WGN. It's White Sox Weekly on the official radio station of the Chicago White Sox. 720 WGN. Great to have you, Jerry Reinsdorf. Yes, indeed. Live broadcast, Cork and Carey at the Park, presented by Wintrust, presenting sponsor of the Wintrust Crosstown Series, sponsored by Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's Beer. Richard Roper, I got a question for you. Yes, sir. You, I, I, I'm giving you the biggest diehard White Sox fan on the show. You've got the longest tenure. Hmm. I'm curious, right now, your level of satisfaction slash impatience, if at all, okay. with with where the rebuild is at right now, 41 and 43, playing the Cubs tonight. I think they're about six months, a full half season ahead of the rebuild for a lot of people. And Carm, I know I sound crazy when I say this, but. The wild card is not out of the realm for this team if they win 85 games. I mean, it sounds crazy, but they're, they're five games out of the wild card right now. They have to leapfrog some teams. But the fact that we can even say that without being laughed out of the cork and carry on the south side, I'm very pleased. I think we've seen improvement in some of the young guys faster than we saw. And then we've seen people like James McCann and Lurie Garcia saying, hey, if you give me a chance to play every day, look what I can do, exceeding, I think, even the ball club's expectations. Uh, the White Sox are the sort of team that... Like, if you're the Cubs, the White Sox are the last team you want to face this weekend. You're coming off yeah. a tough road trip. You haven't been playing well over the past couple of weeks. While the Sox have won five of seven, they're an ascending team. They're young. They're hungry. The White Sox, for the rest of this season, are going to be the team opponents see on their schedule and say, damn, we have to face the White Sox this week. Because they're hungry. They have a, they have a, they're hungry. They have young talent. Um, you mentioned the wild card. Now that you do add a cease to the rotation, like that was the weakness where you know we're going bullpen day twice in one week. Like what we need, they need yeah. starting arms. Um, not on the possibility, but they're a team that you, you don't want to be playing right now. Well, not to mention they held their own against the Twins. Absolutely. Take two yeah. from the Twins, that's huge right now. Yeah, all right, I want to continue this conversation after 5 o'clock. Just, I think the White Sox fans right now as a whole are the happiest they've been in it, right? In the, right yeah, oh, yeah, like in a, in a, in a decade. Maybe. I agree. I mean, I, it's, agree. This, there is a, there is they're some, feeling it, man. They're, they're feeling that's because it. they're smart. <laughs> there, there's, there's, there's love all around. All right, quick timeout news coming up, and we're here until 540. Cork and Kerry, come on by. 33rd in Princeton, 720 WGM. 
Broadcasting live from Cork and Cary at the park, presented by Wintrust, the presenting sponsor of the Wintrust Crosstown Series, sponsored by Goose Island Beer Company and Chicago's Beer. Uh, Rick Eiser, by the way, producing on Cider, doing a great job. Thank you, Rick Eiser. Appreciate all right. you. Uh, all right. We were talking before the break here. I'm just putting it out there. White Sox fans, you're all in here. Cub fans, too. But I think this is the happiest that White Sox fans have been in, in I don't know, probably since like 2008. Yeah. Can, I mean, mm-hmm. Everyone sees what's coming. Right. Is, does anybody disagree with that, that right now there's like literally not one unhappy White no. Sox fan? I, that's, a, that's what it feels like to me. Because the people who have been there are starting to feel, it feels real. We're finally getting back to almost like a, okay, not 2005, but, you know, close on our way there. We're optimistic that way. Yeah, and I mean, I think even with 05, like right now it feels even a little different than that era because you have so much young talent. You know, you've had this farm system that took so long to, to rebuild, and the Sox really never had the strongest farm system in baseball. And then in a matter of two years, you make some huge trades, and you get some of the top young players, top prospects in all of baseball. Now to actually see those guys coming up to the big leagues and not just be here, but contributing to victories. I think that's really one of the big reasons that has Sox fans excited as well. Well, and I think that the White Sox all of a sudden became the St. Louis Cardinals in the sense that it's the Lou Brock trade all over again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not there yet on that. So I no, 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 I am. Uh, I'm there. Dylan Cease's pitch in one game. Yeah. Doesn't and, matter. And he, and he, he only played half, half a season. And he now has a better lifetime winning percentage than Jose Quintana. <laughs> oh, I believe is one game under 500. Right. Classic trash dog. I'll, I'll let it be. But I will say this, Kevin. Kevin makes a good point. You know, the 2005 team was really built to win that year. Yep. There was never any – look, Canerco was young. They had some young right. talent. But, I mean, El Duque was 64. Like, to duplicate you know, what they did that year was that almost team, next to impossible. That team was put yeah. together to right. win that right. year, not to have – they were not a farm system team. Yeah. They were an acquisition team with a mix of veterans and young guys. Right. They Scotty Pods seemed like a they baby seized back the, then. Yeah, and he was. But, they, you know, they seized the moment yeah. right, with a lot of guys that, that, you know, I mean, people forget that they had three closers that year. Yeah. You know, that there were a lot of things that fell into place where this team has the potential to be a 10-year I think that's part of it. We're seeing the future, right? And that's what's even more exciting because that's very promising. It's not just a one-and-done type of thing. Look, a 12-game improvement win-wise this time last year. Yoa Moncada is a guy who was a a massive piece of the rebuild. When you trade a Chris Sale, you have to get value in return. Here's they've gotten that in Yoa Moncada and Michael Kopech. And the same goes with the Cub trade where Eloy Menez clearly looks like he belongs and Dylan Cease has had the one start, but he looks like he has stuff where he should belong in the majors for a long time too. So like those guys those guys are actually matter. They're impacting the team in terms of victories. There's also the the last piece of the puzzle here is Luis Robert. I agree. And Luis Robert, I think, is going to end up being the Wilson Contreras of this team. He's going to be everything to every at every moment. He's got he's got the skills. He's got uh, defensive skills. He's got offensive skills. He's got he's got leadership ability. He's he's. 15 times bigger than he was when they actually acquired him. Yeah, he's still right. so young, too. He looks like he played for the Bears, too, in the in the fall as well. well the guy's forget is, uh, Nick Madrigal, who sounds like someone who won on America's Got Talent. <laughs> yeah. and is, you know, the, the leading boy band. Uh, and, and Everybody, Nick Madrigal. But, you know, uh, one quick thing, too, about this, car. We're talking about some of these trades. I believe in, uh, listen, Chris Sale has, you know, obviously is, is one of the all-time greats. It's already, like, in the top 20 strikeout list. But 
I want I don't want to name any names, Chris Sale, Adam Eaton, but they got rid of certain guys who maybe weren't the greatest guys in the world to deal with and maybe weren't the best guys in the clubhouse. Maybe were a little me first. The Adam Eaton trade was the most ridiculous trade on day one ever. You got three starting pitchers, Lucas Giolito, first round draft pick. You're also getting Ronaldo Lopez and you're getting I didn't Dane know who, Dunning. I didn't know who Dane Dunning is and, and I didn't care who Dane Dunning was. Like for Adam Eaton I mean Eaton for Giolito would have been right. I would have been fine with that trade too. Right. He's got three prospects for Adam Eno. have been nothing but a... That, that was robbery. And to, I, you made a great point, uh, Roper, on, on, on 2005. Nobody thought the White Sox were winning the World Series yeah. that year. That thing totally jumped up out of yeah. nowhere. Bobby Jenks was picked up off the scrap heap. Right. Uh, you know, guys like Jeff Bloom were nobody wanted. People uh, didn't... He was, you know, God love him, but the back was already starting to be an issue. Career that, years yeah. for everybody. The pitching yeah. staff was, like, unreal that season. And what they did in the postseason, that pitching staff, will never be matched because the game has changed so much. Right. But you're never going to get, you know, three complete games in an almost complete game like right. that, like they had. People didn't like the Carlos Lee for Scotty Pods deal. They thought that was crazy. I, I, I hated that as a White Sox fan <laughs> growing up. I go, what? El Caballo? He's going to well, hit 40 homers well, this year. Well, and then Scotty Pod was, like, the key move to that team. He was the leadoff guy right all guy season. Tadahito Aguchi would get him over. He would steal third. Then somebody would drive him in. It was the perfect recipe that they built with that trade. Well, and I think there are lessons to be learned, too, from what the Cubs went through. Uh, this on Cubs Sox Day, right? That we, you saw in 2011, 12, 13. I'll never forget when <laughs> when Theo came out with it. I think it was in 2011. He goes, it's going to be five more years. And there <laughs> was, was a, like, what? And there was a moment where we were like, what are you talking about? Right, and because it had already been a, at that point, it had already been a hundred and you know right. three right. or whatever. Well, so it was like a, it, 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 it it couldn't be worse. It, what you see here with this team is the uh, is a, a proper build, not a slow build, a proper build. It's it, it's at right pace. I think by next year, when you get guys like you know Kopech coming back healthy, and then we'll see what Luis Robert looks like. I think we're going to see him before the end of this season. You're going to see an amazing, amazing, amazing core go in. And I, we were talking about this, you know, Richard and I like to spend a, little, you know, a few bucks maybe betting on things in Las Vegas. <laughs> maybe, you know, we're going to help. What was the over-under this Nothing year? Wrong with that. Our, our, friends, uh, our friends at Bet Chicago might be able to help us, uh, so. you know, next year and the year after. hope so. But here's the thing. What are you going to do? In the, what, what, are the, what are the White Sox going to be like? in the offseason going into Vegas, going into the season to win the World Series. Are they going to be 50 to 1? Are they going to be 25 to 1? Are they going to be 15 to 1? They're going to be that classic sexy pick that a lot of people are saying, look out for these guys. Right. And it'll be interesting to see how aggressive they are in the offseason as far as buying talent. Uh, I'm a cake and eat it too guy. We'll talk about (laughs) this coming back here. I I got a specific individual that I think Hmm. relates to that. So let's do let's do that coming on back here. See what you guys think. Uh, will the Cubs swing big on the South Side, or will the Sox knock out their crosstown rivals? White Sox Cubs Sunday at twelve thirty tomorrow on WGN TV Sports. Cake and eat it too, and it revolves around Jose Abreu coming back next seven twenty WGN. Uh, you know when I walked out and it was, you know, there was fans from third baseline all the way to the bullpen uh, cheering before the game. I didn't know how to react. I just had to smile. Dylan Cease, who was on the program earlier today. Thank you to Dylan. And uh, White Sox are setting that one up. Uh, we're broadcasting from Cork and Carey. Thank you, everybody. Enjoying the ice cold Goose Island beer. Cork and Carey at the park, 33rd and Princeton. Just a couple of blocks north of the field. 
honestly, if you're coming to a White Sox game, if you don't stop here, you're making a mistake, it's awesome. Uh, this is a place to go before and after every game. Cork and Carry at the Park has the best food in the neighborhood. No Come question. on by, say hi. Right, Rokan? This is all sponsored by Goose Island Beer, Chicago's Beer. So we had Rick Hahn on the show. We asked him a bunch of stuff, but we didn't ask him about Jose Abreu. And he met the media today announcing that Luis Robert was moving up to AAA. So here's a quote from uh, Rick Hahn about Abreu. Quote, nothing has changed in terms of our view of Jose and his value to this club and how he potentially fits going forward. Again, we tend to handle these things in the offseason, so it's a little premature to worry about it too much right now. Now, there he's talking about his contract. But I'm looking at a situation, and I know that you're, you're talking about the wild card and the White Sox. It's true, the White Sox are not completely out of it. But if you're in a situation with, with Jose Abreu that you could say, here, look, man, the whatever team who is in the race and is going to the playoffs wants you. They really want you. They're going to give us a great piece back who we think we can win a World Series with. And I promise you, you're going to, you, the best offer you get in the offseason will be from us. Why is, are, are, would you be opposed if, if something like that happened? Because I, I think that'd be a win win for the White Sox. You, you look at, look at, look at what the Yankees did with Araldis Chapman. Trade him to the Cubs, get Glyber Torres, sign Araldis Chapman back. Here, here's a major difference. Yeah. Jose Abreu doesn't have the same sort of value as an Araldis Chapman to a random team trading for him. A first base, a power hitting first baseman. He, Jose Abreu has more value to the White Sox than to any other team. Even if a team didn't have a first baseman. They didn't have one. Jose Abreu means more to the White Sox because it's not that hard to find power. Rodas Chapman Cubs probably don't win the World Series without him. Jose Abreu probably doesn't put a team over the top. He's a huge leader for a lot of these young guys right now, and that's another huge I mean, you're not going to get anything for Jose Abreu. I'm getting, good, I'm getting good pushback here. Good pushback. <laughs> I just, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying you completely disregard a potential trade, because if you do all of a sudden get a team willing to overspend, maybe you consider that, yeah. but I, like, not, I, I don't even think, it's, I just don't think you would get anything you, for it. You're probably right, but I, but in the case that you did get something that you thought of value, I, I would do it. I don't know. How. But it's a rental. How yeah. Much, how much can you get? How much value can right. you get off a rental? I'll, That's a thing. Unless, unless they sign him in a long-term deal and then moved him, which is not going to happen. But no, that right? won't. Right. So right. I, I happen to, you know what, I, I like the idea. I it, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to move a big piece to get a lot back right. to, for I, next yeah. year. Because right? this year is not going to be this year, I don't no, think, it's but not. it's, it's just so much fun. And that, all these points are great. Lauren you know, mentioned the fact of, of his leadership as well, but you know, Kevin are, are, are correct as well. I will say this. If they hadn't accelerated this rebuild... If they were 22 games under again this year, he's gone. He, he, you know, even last year, they might have listened right. to offers for him. If they, if they felt like, God, we're still three years away, guys. But just, but the fact that they're near 500, and he is an important part They're a year team, away from the playoffs. I think, I think that you know, he, his yep. tenure in Chicago was saved by the young guys since last July, from last July to this July, the way they've played. I, I think the more interesting conversation at the trade deadline was well, what do they do with Alex Colomay, who's turned into a very reliable closer. That's a guy who you get much more value for than a Jose Abreu, plus Alex Colomay you have under control next year. So if you trade Alex Colomay now, if you do get a desperate team, then this time next year when you anticipate being in first place in playoff contention, then you're looking for an Alex Colomay. Then you have to go out and get that type of guy. Yeah, so true. I think you have to be overwhelmed this year if you do decide to part ways with Colomay and get some pieces. Because a guy like that, a back-end Laid a closer, laid in a guy. You can get a lot for the Chapmans, you know, guys like that. That's that's where you get a lot of value for. And, and we did ask Rakan about that, and he he would, he basically, or not basically, what he said was that there's 
we'll see. There's a lot of relievers that are out there. So will who's right. ever paying a ton of money, will they pay it for Calumet over Rest? Carm, let me say something. Yes, Rob, When please. my parents said to me, we'll see, we never went to the water park. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the one thing you're, we need to know. Year. Next you're, year. You're going you're, next year. Next year, Rob. You're, you're probably right. You're, like, this is, this is the way it's setting up. I, I... Okay, I, I just like to see them be aggressive. Like you're, you're, yeah. you're in the offseason. I think they will. I think this year everyone's going to be a buyer or seller. I just don't think they're going to do much this year. I don't. It's a, it's a it's a great opportunity right now. You're you're. I don't think any White Sox fan would freak out if if like you wouldn't remember when they had this the sell off in '99 and everyone with Mike Caruso and they, they, everybody freaked out that the Sox were giving up because they were three and a half out of the wild card. The white flag trade, right? The white flag. The, the, I don't think the rhetoric would no, be like no, that right, right now. You're right about that, Carmen. And, and the game has changed so much. With you know, as, as Kev says, there are probably 15 first basemen as great as Abreu has been who could come close to matching those numbers, and almost anybody you put in that slot is going to at least do 80 percent of that production. It's and just the way, gonna, the way the game is, uh, you know, played these days. And they home have run, big, home run, home run. big production. They have big production now. Right? Yeah. I mean, you're going to see. The, the interesting thing is, it, you know, the, the the wise sage Kevin Powell once said to me. Oh boy. He said, as we watch Moncada they come into his own this year, you're going to see that with Aloy next year. Right, you're going to see him yep. where the ball's going to get gigantic for him, and he's already seen a couple moments, right, including at Wrigley a couple of weeks ago, where the ball got, you know, became a softball to him. So I think we're going to, you know, I, I their offensive firepower is not going to be the issue. Defense, still some suspect things going on here. True, starting, starting pitching right? depth. Couple more arms in the bullpen. Right. Well, you want to raise your kid these days to be a middle reliever who can eat up innings, or a starting pitcher and go nine and eleven, and he'll get a twenty million dollar deal. <laughs> okay. Kind of. Okay, hold on a second. I though. mean, it's crazy. Like a Dallas Keuchel gets a one year, twelve million dollar deal. A guy won a Cy Young like two or three years ago. Well, we touched on it for a second. Then we start. We talk about starting pitching. Michael Kopech getting married with a waterfall on his knees. Can't can compete get, with that. Can I get thoughts here? I mean, engaged, I, engaged. Carb, engaged. Carb, you're recently engaged. You did the yeah, same thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I brought the lovely Chelsea over to my apartment, and I had, like, one flower. I <laughs> mean, the shower. Get the, the faucet running. Turn the shower spigot to waterfall. You know, <laughs> a different flow you can Lit get. Lit a candle. He had some that. rando oh, dude sad. filming. Was that the TV show that was filming? Well, it? that's the thing. She's, a, you know, she's an actress, so, you know, there's going to be a heightened uh, interest in all that kind of stuff. So I think he's, you know, look, they seem... Been together, you know, for a while, uh, so it seems like the real deal. But uh, yeah, you don't usually see a guy uh, on the White Sox in the White Sox organization shirtless under a waterfall proposing to his girlfriend. I believe, and Mark Burley will tell you this story. It's a true story. He proposed to his wife in a in a duck blind. In a what? Were, in a blind, as they were oh, hunt, in a bl- hunting. Uh, in a, oh, in a hunting blind. Oh, my God. Hey, as long as it I know you have with an update role. on the arm, I'm okay with it. Do whatever you want. Post your engagement video. But how's the arm? I have two thoughts, Carm. Uh, the first thought is the only waterfall in White Sox history is that thing in center field where the guys at the... Uh, you know, Hot summer the day, your dad yeah, let you yeah. duck your head under the uh, shower. I really have nothing to say about this. <laughs> As a two-and-a-half-time two and loser. I have nothing to say. But, but you, you never went waterfall. Maybe that was – I'm assuming went, you never I, – I went, I, went, I went pretty close. Did I went, you really? I went Las Vegas. That oh. was even, oh, yeah. Um. But that didn't work out at all. So it's, the, you know. That place where, where things happen, they stay there? I told them not, to do, it on that pirate, I told not to do it on that pirate ship where there's guns going off. That, that was not the right place Let's to just engaged. say that we didn't talk on the flight on the way back after the thing posted yeah, on Instagram. Yeah, the engagement stayed there. Yeah. 
after the thing posted on Instagram. That's all I'm saying. That's just my experience. It's, it's, so, you know, what do I got? It's important oh to remember that life is a learn and grow. It's all yeah, it is. Right? Right? Totally. Completely. Yep. You're see, 100% right. See, there we go. All right. Uh, news coming up. We'll do a little bit of our White Sox weekly uh, review as well. Coming back here. Sox and, of course, the Cubs coming up here. Pre-game at 540. Andy Mazur will have that for you. Come on by Cork and Carries. We'd love to see you. 720 WGN. Seven twenty WGN broadcasting live from Cork and Carry at the Park, presented by Wintrust, presenting sponsor of the Wintrust Crosstown Series, sponsored by Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's Beer. Mark Carmen here with the Rocon Show. They're letting me hang with them. It's a good time out here at Cork and Carry. Uh, we normally do our our White Sox weekend review, although we're well past White Sox weekly. But I just want to do uh, highlight two and three here, Curtis, because we were talking about the doubleheader on July third. So let's let's hear. Uh, Let's hear what we got from game one, the Dylan Cease debut. Here's the 2-2. Jones is out on strikes, his first major league strikeout. He gets Jacoby Jones here leading off, or I should say with one out in the second. And the 1-2. Got him with the hook. Locked him up with the curveball. Three up, three down they go. Four straight retired by Cease. And then it got a little bit... Uh, Dicey for a second and more beautiful from there. Cease with a couple of Ks right there. And then the nightcap. Here was Jose Abreu. And the 3-2. Swinging a line drive to the left. Down the line to the corner. This ball's gone. Three-run homer. Turn the fireworks on. Abreu goes deep. The Sox win in the bottom of the 12th on a three-run homer. And they win 9-6. to six. So you all were still in the park? Is that right? Oh, my God, yes. Of course. That's, that's commitment. Mean, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, there's also, that's also public transportation, but it was a, <laughs> what an incredible, incredible, incredible night that was. I mean, you just, there was magic in the air. It was like a perfect summer night, perfect Chicago summer night. Mm. I think Sox fans will remember that night, that that. Day night doubleheader yeah. more than maybe anything in this era. In that's this second. That second game was one of those games. If you went to bed and you did not see the win, you are regretting it. Imagine for a very leaving long that time. game early. Oh yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Imagine, imagine if somebody early. did that. Half yeah. the team Kevin, left. Imagine. Yeah. Imagine if that would have happened. Fair weather fans. <laughs> Fair weather fans. <laughs> These things happen. Uh, Mon- Moncada's homer to the in the tenth. I don't want to let that one go by. You're down a run in the tenth. Yeah, absolutely. Nine thousand foot home run. Eloy, Eloy at Wrigley so far to me is. Still, yeah, that was even more. Well, it's the highlight of but the season. The, so but as a full yeah. day, that was. Oh right, yeah, best one. Maybe yeah, best one of the decade. I would say best single day. Yep. Yeah. Tough to argue. I mean, down a run. I, okay, I'll but move, that's I'll how move exciting, along. Yeah, here. that's how exciting the team is. You know, there will be those moments. We'll be down. They're in they every game. Back. Yeah, they are. They are. He, and he, Makata was trying to take it out, and he did, which is incredibly yeah. hard to do. All right, let's do uh, check of news. We're out here in ten minutes, so we have uh, one more little fun segment for you. But uh, first, a check of news at five thirty with your WGN News. Here's Pam Jones.